something that we'd like to do this morning, if I could have the, the elders come up. We have one of our own, one of our, one of our family members that is, that is going off to join the military, and we want to send him off with a blessing as part of our family. So if Austin would come on up, and I'd like his parents' family to come up too, and if we would just, if you would all stand as part of, part of our family together and extend a hand out here, and let's pray for our, for our brother Austin as he goes off to defend our country. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I personally want to thank you for this young man. And what a blessing he is, what a blessing he has been to our church, to our family here at Calvary Chapel. Lord, the example that he's been, not only to his peers, those that are his age, because he certainly has done that, but Lord, also to us, uh, us as adults, Lord. He has, he has been such a servant. Lord, his heart is no doubt, no doubt for you. And Lord, as we, he now takes another step, a giant step in service to serve our country. Lord, I pray that you fill him with your spirit, Lord, that you continue to give him the boldness that you have given him to be an example. Mm -hmm. Lord, he's going not only into service for our country, but Lord, I know that he is going with a heart to serve you in it. So Lord, I pray that you would, that you would fill him with your spirit, Lord, that you would give him opportunities to shine for you. Lord, would you keep your hand of protection over him, watch over him, watch over his unit that he is assigned to, watch over his his commanding officers, watch over everything that he does. And Lord, I pray for his parents. Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would comfort them in this time. Lord, that you would encourage them. Lord, his brothers, Lord, that they would continue to look up to him as an example. Lord, we thank you for this privilege. And Lord, would you place him on our heart often? We would pray for him and lift him up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. All right, well, you can be seated, and please take out your Bibles, and as you do, I just want to throw in a couple of my cents worth about the whole New Jersey experience. Thank you guys that went, thank you for, thank you to you, by the way, um, you guys are famous on the East Coast. <laughs> I, met, I met a couple of pastors who said, I can't believe what you guys are doing, what your church is doing, you know, why, why, and that brought some under conviction that said, why is it that a church in Arizona is having to come out here? I said, well, because God called us to, and we're being blessed by it, but thank you to you, because this is all happening because of, of your prayers and your, your generosity, but what a blessing it was this week, truly was. Uh, a week ago today, a week ago today, the, the bell in the bell tower of that church rang for the first time in probably at least 50 years. And just one of the, one of the many jobs and one of the chores that was undertaken, that, and we could tell it was 50 years based on the pigeon droppings that are up there, <laughs> that no man had been up there before Pastor Brad, who climbed the bell tower and tied a rope to the bell, and last Sunday they rang the bell for church for the first time, and I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I, I feel pretty safe in, in stepping out on a limb here that all of the aches and pains went away last Sunday morning when a 
couple that has been a part of the church since the beginning, since it was in the park. They were gone on vacation the week of all the work being done. And when they showed up for church on Sunday and saw the finished product in the sanctuary totally transformed and all of the work that had been done, Tori is her name, she walked in, she just covered her mouth and the tears just started flowing. And then Pastor Ray God bless him, grabbed his shirt and put it up over his head because he just started, and his shoulders just started heaving because the emotion of what, you know, that was taking place there, and there wasn't a dry eye in the room then, and I'm, I'm sure all the aches and pains either, either went away or it was like, hey, this is all worth it for this. The ministry that's going on, last Wednesday when we got back from the pastor's conference, I think I heard one saying that the basketball games that were going on, Kids are playing full court in the church parking lot. And I just, I, I half-jokingly said to Ray, I said, so we got next? And he called it out. We got next. <laughs> so all of a sudden now we're in. And uh, then it was Ray and I and Pastor Donnie and another guy from the church. We started playing with four of us against five of the kids playing full court a couple of games. And I'm still feeling it. It's, <laughs> but, but. There was an opportunity afterwards to minister to some of those kids that we wouldn't have had if we hadn't done that. And just what a, what a blessing. So keep them in your prayers. Keep that church. Man, God is doing some amazing things in Newark, and what a blessing it is for us to be a part of it. Well, we got to get into Acts. I could talk for hours on this, so I won't. Acts chapter 3. We started Acts chapter 3 a couple of weeks ago, and... We looked at this, this amazing miracle that takes place. Peter and John are on their way up to the temple to pray. And they come across a man who has been in, placed in this, in this spot outside the gates leading in uh, to the temple area every day because for 40 years since his birth, he's been lame. He's never walked. He's never taken a step in his life. He's carried there. He's placed there. He's doing what he does every day. He's, he's asking for, for alms. He's asking for money. That's his way of supporting himself is from the generosity of others as he begs there. And he's thinking today is going to be like every other day, but today will be different than any other day he's ever experienced. As we look, we covered this last time, but we'll start here in verse 6 of chapter 3. It says, but Peter said, as he came across this man, he said, I do not possess silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I pointed this out last time, but it bears repeating. He goes into the temple here for the first time in his life. He was never allowed into the temple court areas. So he goes now in with Peter and John for the first time, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw, verse 9, saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple and beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And we continue on now, verse 11, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran to them so, at, at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk? Peter realizes, it says, when he saw this, and this is the multitude that comes. 
We, we, it's not just a few people. It's not 20. It's not 50. It's not 100. It's not a few hundred. It's a few thousand people that see it. The word starts spreading. Everybody starts coming. We know that because in verse 4 of chapter 4, we're going to see that 5,000 men come under conviction from what the message that they hear and give their life to Christ. Thousands gather. I mean, this huge group of people see this man now who has been crippled, has been lame since birth. He's the one that is constantly begging alms. They understand him, they recognize him, and now he's running around leaping, praising God. And Peter is an opportunist. (laughs) He sees an opportunity with all of these people gathering around. Now, Peter is not in this opportunistic thing. He's, he's taking this opportunity to give glory to God, to praise God for what is taking place. He's not taking the opportunity for St. Peter Ministries International. He's not looking at this and saying, oh man, look at what I did here, and oh man, we could really cash in on this. We see the humility of Peter. We see a humble heart in Peter. <clears throat> a heart that God can use. And God continues to look for hearts of men and women that are humble, that he can use in mighty ways for his glory. Peter's heart didn't, it wasn't, it, we see this in Peter's heart in his life previously too. Back in Luke chapter 5, one of the first times he met Jesus, one of the first times he encountered Jesus, Jesus asked if he could borrow his boat. And so Peter lets him borrow his boat. They push it off from short a little bit. And Jesus shares with the multitude that's there. And afterwards, Jesus tells Peter to cast his nets now out into the deep part of the water that's there. And Peter, being a professional fisherman, has, was there cleaning his nets while he was listening to Jesus. And in his mind, no doubt thinking, hey, Jesus, you're the preacher, I'm the fisherman. We fish at night around here, and we know where the good fishing spots are, although he hadn't caught anything. But he says, because you said it, we'll do it. And he casts the nets into the water. And when they start pulling the nets back in, there's so many fish in the net, it starts to break. The net starts to break as they're pulling it in. And so, again, here Peter doesn't take an opportunistic approach to this. Oh, hey. To that, um, that, that saying, okay, I get this. Now I got it. Here's an idea, Jesus. You tell me where to throw the nets from now on. I'll do all the hard work. You just tell me where, but I'll split the proceeds with you 50-50. No, he doesn't. His heart is humble. He looks at that and he says, Lord, away from me. I'm a sinful man. That's Peter's heart. And that's the humble heart that God desires to see in us so that he can use us in that way. Jesus said, let your light shine among men in such a way that when they see your good deeds, they do what? They glorify the Father. Not that they glorify you. Not that they say, man, look at what God is doing in you. No, that they glorify the Father. All credit goes and all glory goes to the Father. Now we see in our text here, Peter asks two questions. And I want to look at the two questions individually, but I want to look at the second question first. Notice he says, why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk? Why are you looking at us in such a way that it looks like you're thinking that it was by our power or our piety that he's walking? That word power, dunamis, is the same word that Jesus used back in chapter 1 when he spoke of the fact that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Peter understands that this has nothing to do with his power. 
prior to the Holy Spirit coming upon him, he had none. And so it was given to him at that time. And through the Holy Spirit working in him, that power is what, is what made this man now to walk. Now, so why are you looking at Zilda power? And I think in this room, we would probably all agree that if God uses us, it's because of his power in us, right? I mean, that's, that's, that, we, don't, we don't have much problem with that. It's the second one that I want to focus in on for a moment. Because he said... Not just, not just that, why do you look at us as our own power, but also our own piety. That word piety is righteousness or holiness. And we need to be careful, so careful in that as Christians. Because we can start getting now into the arena and thinking, man, God is using me because of my holiness. Because I'm so righteous. Because I got up early every morning this week and said my prayers. Because I did my devotions every day. That's why God's going to use me, because of my own holiness. So Peter, Peter doesn't even take credit for that. He says, why would you look at us as though it's our power or our piety, our holiness that did this? We can't boast in anything that we do. We can't take credit for anything. And again, it doesn't only have to be verbal. It can be in the way that we express ourselves. I remember back in, in high school, I had a picture that, I, that we had taken with some friends of mine. I was so proud of that picture for a long time. There was the three of us standing in our driveway, and my friend was leaning up against a brand new Trans Am. My other friend was leaning up against a Corvette, and I was leaning up against this Camaro, and we're looking at that like, man, aren't we cool? And the, the understanding was, look at my car and me, because I'm so cool. The reality was, look at my dad's car that I'm leaning up against, right? And this had nothing to do with me. But we have, such a we have to be so careful of that. Because Peter, James tells us that we have and we, don't, we ask and we don't receive because we want to use it up for our own purposes, for our own benefit. There was a a master tool convention, and Brother Hammer was presiding over it, but Brother Screwdriver objected, saying, Brother Hammer, you're too noisy to preside over this meeting. You're always driving home your point, always nailing people. I call for your resignation immediately. Brother Hammer responded, well, what, what about you, Brother Screwdriver? All you do is spin around in circles. Well, that may be true, said Brother Screwdriver, but at least I'm not like Brother Plain. His work is so surface, so shallow. What right does he even have to be here? If you're kicking me out, bro protested Brother Plain, what about Brother Tape Measure? He thinks he's always right, measuring everyone by his standard. Well, if you're going to come down on me, argued Brother Tape Measure, what about Brother Pliers? He needs to get a grip. <laughs> at least I don't rub people the wrong way, said Brother Pliers, staring at Brother Sandpaper. Just then, the master craftsman walked in, and as he used each tool at the perfect time, he created an object of great beauty. As we have such a tendency to think that God chooses to use us because of something that we, we're nothing outside of his hand. Everything that we are is only because of him and what he does. We have nothing to boast in and of ourselves. We have no right to elevate ourselves, and we have no right to look down on one another. It's all, it's all because of him. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, 
that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord, boasting in him. All glory to him. And that's, that's what we see that in Peter. Taking none of the glory, none of the credit. Second question, like I said, why do you gaze at us? The first question he asks is, why are you amazed at this? And I take pause at that question, quite honestly, because why are you amazed at this? I mean, the guy hadn't walked in 40 years. Never walked, as a matter of fact. The muscles that were there, he, he hardly had any muscle tissue at all in his legs, much less tendons and anything that worked. And now immediately, they're all there, all functioning, not only walking, jumping, and praising God. Why are you amazed? But the question does carry with it the idea, why are you amazed? Because didn't God's word promise that that would take place? Didn't God's word promise that these things would be a sign of the Messiah being there? Didn't God's word promise in Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped? Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. So why are you surprised? Why is it that we're so surprised at things that shouldn't surprise us? We're, we're astonished by things that shouldn't astonish us, like an honest politician, right? When, shouldn't they be honest? But we're amazed when they are because we don't see it happening all around us, right? Why are we astonished when we see God working through people? He promised he would. That's, 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 that's how he functions. Why does it surprise us? Why are we astonished by the things that shouldn't amaze us and also apathetic towards the things that should? Amaze us. Astonished by the things that shouldn't amaze us. Turn with me to second, or I'm sorry, first Peter chapter four. I'd read the verses to you, but I think it's important that you know where these verses are because this is one that we all come across. First Peter chapter four. Verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. The same Peter, who's speaking in our text today, records for us, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be surprised when things get crazy. Don't be surprised when, an, when something happens in your life that rocks your world. Yet what happens when that takes place? Every time, right? God, why? Why me? Why now? We're amazed by that. Peter tells us, don't be surprised when that happens because there's a reason for it. It's for your testing, it's for your proving, it's for your growth. It's, it's for your good, it's for your benefit. And it does not take God by surprise. It's not happening by chance. Don't be surprised as though some strange thing were happening to you. Yet we so often are amazed at those things. Paul tells Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yet when persecution comes at us from any form or direction, it almost always amazes us, doesn't it? Why me? It shouldn't. 
the faithfulness of God. Man, God, you so showed up. You're so amazing. Yes, yes, he is, but it shouldn't amaze us. Why? Because he's always faithful. He's never been unfaithful. But we can also be apathetic towards things that should amaze us. I grew up in Colorado and grew up right in the foothills, right at the base of the Rocky Mountains, the majestic, glorious, beautiful Rocky Mountains. But I'll be honest with you, the majority of my life growing up, I didn't even know they were there. They just became something that was a part of, you know, just grew apathetic towards it. And if we're not careful, we can also become apathetic towards the things that should amaze us every moment of our existence, like God's grace. God's grace, giving us those things that we don't deserve. Blessing us in ways that we do not deserve. His mercy. Not treating us the way that we do deserve. His long-suffering, His patience. Those things should never cease to amaze us. Why are you amazed at this? This is supposed to be happening. And why do you look at us as though this is happening <laughs> because of something that, that we have produced? He goes on in verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Here Peter steps into his second sermon that we have recorded for us in the book of Acts. And he shares the gospel. He shares the truth. He shares all of it. He doesn't sugarcoat a word of it. We see a great outline even here as to how we are to share the gospel, starting with who Jesus is. He describes him in a few different ways. First of all, he refers to him as God's servant. And if we see, look in the Old Testament, starting in the midway through Isaiah 52 and continuing through Isaiah 53, it speaks of God's servant, the one who would come, the one who would suffer. Not only God's servant, notice he calls him the holy and righteous one. Again, any student of the Old Testament Scriptures would know exactly what Peter is talking about. That word used there for the Holy One, 40, 40 times in the Old Testament is used as a direct reference to Yahweh Himself. Peter pulling out all the stops. Jesus is God, he is saying. But I want to focus in on this one that he uses here in verse 15, the Prince of Life. The prince of life. That word that's used there, prince, is translated elsewhere in the New Testament. It's only used five times. It's translated elsewhere in the New Testament as author. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it calls Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 2, the author of our salvation. The word carries with it the idea not only of a leader or an example, but of an originator. So here we see Peter calling him the author of life. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Paul very clearly, talking of Jesus, the creator of all things. He says all things were created by Him, and all things were created for Him. And then he says all things are held together by Him. Jesus is the answer to the question that still baffles science to this day as to what keeps an, 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 the atomic structure from just exploding. There's, there's, no, there's, there's no scientific answer to protons, neutrons, and electrons being able to stay within the atom. That should just explode outwardly. There should nothing or implode. There's nothing that it can explain that in science. They come up with this, they call it AG, atomic glue. What holds it all together? AG, almighty God. That's what holds the atoms together. That's what, it tells us that in his word. He holds it all together. His creation, he created it. It was for him that he created it, not for us, for him. And he holds it all together. But then he created this perfect, but then sin entered. And instead of just letting it go, he holds it all together. He still holds his creation all together, even after sin entered. And then, he then enters his creation, stepping out of heaven, becoming one of us, living a perfect, sinless life, suffering and dying in our place, taking on the sin of the world onto himself. Guys, understand this. He holds it all together. He holds the molecular structure of everything together. He holds, he held the whip together that was lashed across his back. He held the nails together that were driven through his wrists. He held the cross together that he was nailed to. He held the thorns together that were crushed into his skull. Not only who he did, who he is, but what he did. Why? Why would he do that? Why would the creator of all things, the one who holds it all together, go through all of that? Because of who we are. Because of who we are. Peter says, he calls it, he goes, you, you betrayed him. You turned him over. You turned your back on him. Bible tells us all, all we like sheep have gone astray, every one of us. But it's for the love that he has for us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Because of his unimaginable love for us. As it's recorded in Isaiah 53, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He says, you disowned him. You delivered him. You put him to death. The irony of the prince of life being put to death. But as we saw in chapter 2 of Acts, death couldn't hold him. He conquered death. He conquered death not for himself, but for you and me. Everything, everything, all of our sin completely dealt with on the cross. 
the Prince of Life, gave his life so that you and I could have life and have it abundantly. He continues in verse 16, and on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. On the basis of faith in his name. Faith in his name. Not faith in faith. Not you gotta have faith. Faith in his name. We say this often. It's so important. Faith is no greater than the object of our faith. And it's important that we understand faith in his name. And we say we have faith in the name of Jesus. And yes, we do. But we're not talking about proper pronunciation when we say Jesus. We're talking about full identification when we say Jesus. Who he is, all that he is, and nothing short of all that he is. The holy and righteous one, Yahweh, God himself, sent from the Father, the Prince of Life who suffered and died and rose again. That Jesus. Anything different than that Jesus can't save you. All of those people that are involved in the, the religious cults, they come and say, we worship the same Jesus you do. No, they don't. Not unless it's the Jesus of the Bible, fully disclosed to us here. God, fully God, again, stepping out of heaven, becoming one of us, fully God, fully man, living a perfect sinless life, dying in our place, taking the full penalty for our sin, dying, rising again, coming again. Unless it's that Jesus, he can't save you. It's faith in him. Faith in him. The prince of life. And he says here, he comments, notice he says perfect health. That means whole. That means complete. That what brought this man to that point is this faith, faith again in his name. And when I look at this and we, we talk of faith, it talks of, you know, we look at this and we see Peter's faith to be able to so boldly do this. Do you want faith like Peter has? Do you want faith like that? You have it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes and he says to those, meaning you and I, the, who, the, the, the letter that it's addressed to, Christians, born again believers, he says, to those who have a faith the same kind as ours. The same kind as ours. Again, it's a gift. What's the difference between a faith like Peter's that works this way and a faith that we have? Well, guys, understand this. We are all, when we are born again, we're born again complete. Just like when you were born physically, you were born complete. Everybody hold up your hand and look at your hand. That's the same hand you were born with. <laughs> same hand. What's different? I'm hoping it's bigger. <laughs> it's a matter of growth. It's a matter of growth. But the same hand, same faith, it's just a matter of growth. And just like we grow physically, we grow spiritually by, by our diet and exercise. What do we take in? We need to take in the Word of God. We need to have a diet, a healthy diet of the Word of God. And then we need to exercise. And it's still the best form of exercise is walking. 
We need to walk by faith. We need to walk out our faith. We need to walk in the things that we learn, growing in that faith. Verse 17, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. He says that in the term acting in ignorance, and that, that means that the, 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 what they were doing, they didn't fully understand what they did. They didn't fully understand what it meant when they were crying out to crucify Jesus. They didn't understand it. Now that does not excuse what they did, but it does indicate that there was some ignorance involved in the process. And God still takes that and he uses it for, for his glory. Peter, in essence, in these verses, is saying the same thing that Joseph said to his brothers. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. What you meant to produce evil with, God meant to produce good with. And though you disowned him and turned him over to be killed, God used that to restore relationship with all of humanity. Turned him over to suffer. Anybody want to be more like Jesus? You know, I see something in this that challenges me in that. We all pray that, Lord, make me more like you. But then again, just like we looked at earlier, we're amazed when things come our way that make us more like him. Lord, I want to be more like you. And then somebody, somebody close to us, maybe somebody that we've trusted, hurts us and hurts us deeply. And though they were acting possibly in a little bit of ignorance, because if they knew how much it was going to hurt us, they wouldn't have done it. But they did it, and it still hurt really deeply. You want to be more like Jesus? Don't be surprised when that happens. You want to be more like Jesus? Do what Jesus did. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So if that is you, and you just raised your hand, you want to be more like Jesus. If you hold anything against anyone right now that has hurt you, Right now, right where you sit, forgive them. You'll be more like Jesus. God works all things together for good. All things. For our good and his glory. Verse 19, Peter again laying out the gospel. It starts with who Jesus is. It, starts, it goes to what he did because of who we are. But now he moves into... The what about, or so what, so what then? Verse 19, he says, Therefore, because of this, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient time. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. Therefore, because of this, because of who Jesus is, because of who we are, because of what Jesus did, here's the response. Here's the gospel. Here's what you need to do. First, repent. 
Repent. Turn from the way that you're going. Turn from your sin. Turn from this, this idea that you can somehow in your own righteousness, in your own doing, offset, offset and please a holy and righteous God. Realize that's impossible. Turn from that and turn to Jesus. Look to him, the author and finisher of our faith, the, the author of our salvation, who when he hung on the cross said, it is finished, paying in full the penalty. But we have to receive that. So you have to repent, he says, and then return. Return. Be restored to the, to the glorious relationship with God the Father. And there's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Return. He's waiting with open arms. He desires nothing more than to be restored with you. If you're here today and you've never taken that step, never taken that step to give your life to Jesus, God today, right now, more than anything, he desires to be restored in a relationship with you. Repent, return, so that your sins may be wiped away. And notice too, in order that times of refreshing may come. He desires for you to be refreshed. Isaiah 55, we see the heart of God as he records through the prophet Isaiah, everyone who thirsts comes to the wa- come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. God says, why are you going after things that cannot satisfy? Why are you going to the world for things that can't, they can't give you? Why would you go for satisfaction to things that were never created to satisfy you? I don't know if you heard this or not, but by the end of this week, we're supposed to hit 109. 109. We live in Phoenix. Why are you amazed? It's coming. We all know it's coming. And you know, when, when, it's, when it's that hot out and you're out doing things, it doesn't take long to get dehydrated, right? I mean, you start sweating, and then your tongue starts sticking to the roof of your mouth, and there's only one thing that can truly satisfy you, and that is a cup of ice-cold water. That's it. Everything else might mask the symptoms temporarily, but there's only one thing that can satisfy your body, and that's ice-cold water. But the world, oh, it, it always has other things, right, to entice the only thing that can truly refresh us, the only thing that can truly satisfy us is a restored relationship with God, walking in His ways. But the, the world will try all of these other things. Oh, this will make you happier. This will bring you satisfaction. You'll be refreshed over here. When you're craving and dying, your body's screaming for that cup of ice-cold water. The world is saying, oh, look at this, this, this beautiful red drink. Just look, oh, it's just so enticing. Doesn't it look so wonderful? It's Tabasco sauce. <laughs> and, and, and just trust me. Trust me. It'll, it'll refresh you. And it only costs a million dollars. See, that's, the, that's what the world offers. Something that will cost you everything and give you nothing. Jesus offers you something that will cost you nothing and give you everything. He paid it already. He paid the price for this free cup of water that will satisfy you. It's simply a matter of you embracing it and taking it all in. Hmm. Be refreshed. 
Well, just a couple of notes here on these verses, and we will close with the last couple. It says this, until the period of restoration. Jesus, we know, it tells us that his work is completed here on the cross. He's ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, but he is coming again. And that is what is referred to as this period of restoration. It's the same word that's used back in chapter 1, verse 6, when the disciples asked him, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel, this time of restoration, that time of his millennial reign, when he will come and rule and reign here for a thousand years, there'll be no more war, no more famine, no more disease. He will be the undisputed king of the world for this thousand year period. No one will dispute that, his reign and rule. Guess what that means? No more elections. Moses foretold this, this prophet, Jesus, fulfills this. Give heed to everything he says. And why wouldn't we? Again, just like Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? The gospel, the good news, he's done it all. But the gospel does have bad news. To those who reject it, notice, he says, you don't heed his words, you will be utterly destroyed. But the choice is given to everyone, open to everyone. And again, if you're here today and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, that's what lies ahead for you, utter destruction. But he paid the way. He speaks now of this, this, this gospel here in the last couple of verses, verse 25. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Given to you first, speaking of the gospel now, first coming to the Jews. It's the same gospel that comes to us, however. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Peter says, turning everyone from their wicked ways turning from their wicked ways. Paul writes to, to, to Timothy again, flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, flee temptation, flee evil. Every person that's incarcerated right now, everyone that's in jail anywhere in the world would love to flee, wouldn't they? Why, wouldn't, why aren't they? Why don't they? Because they're in jail. Because they're prisoners. Because they can't. Guys, we've been set free. Before Jesus, we were all in bondage to sin. We were all slaves to sin. We couldn't flee. We had no choice but to go after it. But now we've been freed. Now we can flee evil and pursue righteousness because we've been freed. The sun sets free is free indeed. We are free from the penalty of sin. We are free from the power of sin. And soon we'll be free from the very presence of sin. But again, if you're here today and you've never made that choice, you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you've never trusted in him, you're still a slave to sin. You're still in bondage to sin. You don't have a choice other than today, repent, return, and be refreshed. But the invitation is open to you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. 
And Lord, we worship you today as the Prince of Life, the Author of Life, our Creator, our God. And Lord, we thank you for the love that you have for us, the love that you demonstrated that while we were yet sinners, you died for us, taking our sin upon yourself, taking our just penalty upon yourself. Lord, we no longer want to be amazed when fiery trials come or persecution comes or when we see your great faithfulness. Lord, those things you tell us we should just, we should just be ready for. But Lord, we never, ever want to cease to be amazed by your glory, your goodness, your grace, your mercy. If you're here today and you have never taken that step, you have never made the decision to trust Jesus is your Lord and Savior. The Bible records for us in Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. His desire for you this morning is to wash away your sin, all of it to fully pardon you because Jesus paid the penalty for you on the cross, but you have to receive it. And if that's you and you desire that today, simply go before him in your heart. Say, God, I am a sinner. I'm tired of trying to make up for this on my own. I'm tired of playing the game. I need a savior. And Jesus, I believe you died to save me. I believe you paid the full penalty for me. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. And right now I invite you into my heart. Would you come into my life? Would you wash away all of my sins? I want to be cleansed. I want to be refreshed. Give me eternal life. Give me your spirit. I want to walk in a way that honors you. I want to have victory over sin for the first time in my life. I want to follow you from now on. Lord, we thank you for that work you've done in all of us. Lord, as we worship you now, we pray that you are pleased as we bring our worship to you with hands that you have cleansed, with hearts that you have made pure. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship the Lord together for a little bit. And If you need prayer for any reason, we'd love that opportunity to pray with you. If you prayed this morning, just now, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you please come forward? We'd love again to pray with you. We have some information we'd like to give you. God bless you. Let's worship the Lord together. Mm -hmm.